0: I want you to open your Bible again tonight to Matthew chapter 7 just for a moment. We're talking about giants at the gateway. The gateway, I think, refers to what we're talking about here in Matthew. Jesus said, verse 13 of Matthew 7, enter ye in at the straight gate, that means narrow gate, for wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that go in thereat. That's just one way for God to remind us that you need to be careful how you're traversing this life, how you're walking through life. There's a narrow way, there's a broad way. There's a lot of people on the broad way, not many on the narrow way, but the only way that leads to life is a narrow way. And the longer you walk with God, the more you find that it is pretty narrow. You don't have the liberties the world does because God will judge all of that. But he said, you enter in that way. And in verse 14, he says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. He said, and few there be that find it. Now there's reasons why we don't find it. Many start, not everybody gets there. There's a reason. There's something that prevents and keeps People from entering in through the narrow gate. There's probably a lot of excuses, a lot of reasonable answers, but the Bible said that you're to enter in at a narrow gate, but not everybody will who starts, but you should. And there's something, the something we're calling that prevents that are called giants. They're obstacles. Giants at the gateway. Something there to so persuade, dissuade, turn you away cause fear and uncertainty to happen so that you lose your confidence and you're really not sure this is going to work at all or if this is even the right way. Now we're talking about those two things are discouragement and fear. More in this message about discouragement than about fear. Numbers 21, you don't have to turn to it. We read it last time, but speaking about those that came out of Egypt and were going through the wilderness, realizing that, deliverance is not easy, that being brought out of the bondage of Egypt into the liberty that God has for his people, ushering into the promised land, was not an easy way. In fact, not all of them made it. Though they were elect and chosen, not all of them made it. Those that were 20 and over perished in the desert. They had to wait till they all were dead before their children went in. And it said in verse 4 of chapter 21, it says, And they journeyed in the wilderness, and the Bible said, And the soul of the people was much discouraged. It wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Boy, the joy, the magnificence of being delivered and seeing the invisible God work wonders that only he could do. And that." chatter amongst them about, wow, look at the and, and the marvel of it all from the devastation of a country to the deliverance of them, the fire by day, the clouds by night. And yet what came out of them when God got them out of bondage and began to deal with them, they realized they were full of opposition and rebellion. God called them rebels. All of that has been better than all of us. And God has to bring you a place where he can deal with you to get that stuff out of you because if he doesn't, he'll have to judge it. And it said, and they journeyed and the soul of all the people was much discouraged because of the way. And they still are today. And the people spoke against God and they spoke against Moses and they murmured and they complained. They wanted to go back to Egypt. This was too hard. God's way was too confining. We don't have the leeks and the garlics and the melons of Egypt and we in this old desert and there's no water in this. We're tired of this manna from heaven. It's just not exciting. I mean, every day for 40 years, the same old, same old desert. They wanted something else. And they complained and they murmured. And God many times had to judge his people and put the fear of God in everybody else. I think I said, Sunday, God will tolerate its long-suffering towards a lot of evil in this world, but there comes a point that he can tolerate it no more, and he sends judgment on various parts of the world, countries, people, because he can't let things get completely out of hand. Sometimes we think they are, but he's in control. He's even in control of the United States. Did you know that? And he's in charge of all the affairs of this earth. In fact, to go back again something Sunday, Everything that God has ever said is under the command and the control of his word. And what he said in the beginning, the way it's going to be, is the way it's going to be. Of all the things that goes on between the beginning and the end, from the Alpha to the Omega and all the countries and nations and billions of people, when it comes to the end, the scripture will have been fulfilled. Amen. Now, as you see, that's our hope. I don't want to preach that again but the fact that we can count on what God said to be the way it's going to be. And I want to be a part of that, so I want to line up with him. These Hebrews, they murmured and complained, and they just this and said that. Jesus said in Luke 13, he said, you've got to strive to enter into the narrow gate. It takes effort because so much is against you from being what God wants you to be. So many things confront you. And no matter how much you're taught to fight the devil and and engage in warfare and wrestle against principalities and overcome and so forth, you will never discourage the devil from trying it again. He never gives up. He never quits. He constantly comes against you, and he will until Jesus throws him into that pit. He just never gives up. But we give up. We give up easily because we're always looking back for some other way. We used to know we wish it was that way again. And we can get discouraged by so many things. Your health, a report on the news, a phone call, an article you read, a conversation you had, some of those things the devil will use, negative stuff, put it on your mind. Next thing you know, you're thinking about it, and you're starting to have a bad day. And you get angry. You blow your stack real easy. You become temperamental. A lot of that's because you're discouraged. You don't know how things are going to work. and You're just shoving and pushing and, and you're angry and everything else. But remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. He said, let us not be weary in well-doing. Keeping your hands on the plow. The little things in your life you're making adjustments to, whether God wants you to do. Even though your progress seems small, you're doing something right. Let's not be weary in doing right. Don't be weary in well-doing. You haven't seen a miracle. You haven't been able to prophesy or whatever, all the things, you where's well, all of that. Well, you're part of it. Well, I've never done that. Well, don't get discouraged. Pray about it. Remember Sunday I said, if you want a word from God, ask him for it. Maybe you should ask him about the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, how would you like to use me? Why, it might be amazing. What would happen? You might jump up. Sunday morning, we have big time. But you can't get discouraged because you want to see more. I want to see more. I want to see more. Put yourself where you ought to be. You pray about things where you are and let God lead you that way. Amen. And don't get discouraged. Remember, God is still with you. God is still for you. He goes before you and he covers your back. He's got you from daylight to dark and no man shall pluck you out of his hand. You're going to win. In the meantime, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't sound like it. But you have to hang in there. Last week we said that discouraged means to deprive of courage or hope or confidence. Whatever it is in a man's life, that causes him to quit trying. To back off and say, this is not going to work. I remember when I was a boy running, uh, you know, we used to have to run a cross-country course as basketball preseason training. I liked running cross-country up hills and across there about as much as I like taking cold showers in the Rocky Mountain. I have never liked running. I confess I never will like running. There are people who can run, and the difference is not how long your legs are, what your IQ is, how strong you are, how much weight you can lift, how long you can hold your breath. It ain't that. It's all in your heart. I used to say a long time ago, it ain't how big the dog is in a dog fight. It's how big the dog's heart is. Some of the baddest dogs are little dogs. Because they won't quit. They get bit. They get hurt. They bleed. And with all their might, they keep biting back. The greatest home run hitter for a while in the whole baseball world was Babe Ruth. He struck out more than anybody. But he didn't quit swinging. And many times, I'm sure he swung and swung and swung and went to the plate. And something said, all you do is swing a bat. You can't hit anything. And then it goes out the next day and hits four of them out. Boom, 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 boom. You just can't quit. Amen. And the devil, I think, is a master, deceiver, and prompter of discouraging attitudes and ideas. Well, it won't work for you. Well, this isn't going, you're going to lose everything. This is no, blah, blah, blah. He keeps talking like that. Whereas the word courage... Definition I gave you of courage is is an attitude of facing and dealing with anything recognized as dangerous, difficult, or painful instead of withdrawing from it. The reason we read of so many heroes in books and tell stories of heroes is because somebody in the face of danger refused to let danger have its way. And they went beyond what everybody else would call normal, that is to draw back. And they they wanted bad enough, they just kept going. Folks, let me tell you something. There's no devil in hell that can keep any of you out of heaven if you really want to go. There's no devil that can keep you from being the kind of man or woman that God wants you to be. If you want to be what God wants and you want to wind up where God promises, then the devil can't keep you from it. Now, he can try. But if your heart is set on that, your hands are firmly on that plow, and you will not take no for an answer. You'll make it. You'll be a pleasure to preach to because your heart is set on heaven. You don't know that much about it. You can't explain a whole lot about it. You may not know the details about it, but you know it's real. And even though life is full of disappointments, from the cradle to the grave, there's disappointments that that knock on your door every day, something. Some of them have been big. Some of them have been little. But you've got to be strong. You've got to have courage in this life. God told Joshua three times in Joshua chapter 1, three times in verse 6 through 9, in those four verses, he told him four times, be strong and of good courage. You've got to have that because you're going to lead people. And when you look at people, they don't look like they want to be led. I mean, think of it, Joshua, <clears throat> you're not a spring chicken. You're 80. Man, there's hope for me. He's going to start his ministry at 80. And the man he's going to follow was Moses. How would you like that? Moses. Would you like to follow Moses? I mean, everybody looked at Moses and said, whoa. And then here comes Joshua. And God said, Joshua, you're going to do what he didn't do. You're going to take these people across the Jordan and you're going to divide this whole land. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to divide it to your people. You're going to conquer this land here. And you're the ones going to do it. You're going to take them over there and do it. But let me tell you something. You're going to have a lot of opposition from those people. You're going to feel a whole lot of time like you're totally inadequate and woefully unprepared for this. That it's not working and never will work and you're only kidding yourself to think it will. Those are real thoughts, and they're going to come to you, Joshua. There's going to be times you're going to walk around, you're going to give some instruction to your men about Jericho. And you're going to see the looks on their faces like, what? What's he talking about? Man, is he feeling all right? And they're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're over the hill. They're going to think a lot of things about you. But Joshua, be strong. Be of good courage. In the face of all this opposition, you just do what God said and put God above people and see what he's promised and not what they're thinking. You'll make it. You'll never get up and quit. You'll never complain to your buddies and say, it's too hard and I came. They don't like me. You won't do that. You'll make it. But you've got to be strong and of good courage. Now, let me give you a couple of things that evidence discouragement. One of the things that i found in my life that evidences discourages is a lack of enthusiasm. When a man is encouraged, a woman is encouraged, when people are encouraged, they have confidence in what they're encouraged in. They can do it, they can make it, it'll come to pass, I can do that. And whenever somebody or something comes up and begins to challenge that and they no longer have that, One of the ways you know is that they lose their enthusiasm. They've lost their joy or their zeal or their fervor. The whole reason for walking with Jesus kind of gives way to, man. And you know things have changed. That's not good. But the reason is the devil is... Brought that package to your doorstep, and you said, yeah that's right." You yeah, know that's right. You start agreeing with it. Yeah that's right. It probably won't work. Well, that's right. I never said, "Yeah, that's right." Or a lack of interest. When people get discouraged, they they're not as interested in what they were before they got dis- discouraged. They may show up for church, but they don't show up to listen. They didn't show up to contribute with their attention, which inspires anointing. They didn't do that. They don't know what to do. The Bible says they become dull of hearing. They hear what you said, but they didn't hear what you said. They heard the sound of words, but they're no longer holding fast to those, those words because something else is challenging the word and there's just discouragement. How about a lack of response to the, to the word? You get discouraged. You lose your enthusiasm. You lose your interest. You lose your response. There was a time you would have nodded, at least nodded in agreement. I'm not trying to get you to do that. Don't everybody start doing this. But it's just like, I don't know. I guess I'm getting used to all of this. What happened to the smile you used to have on your face? I, and I know you do. I'm just preaching right now, all right? What happened to the joy that you used to carry with you? People saw you. They talked about you. You're always joyful. What happened? What happened to the fervor you used to have and people say, boy, he's, he's on fire for Jesus. What happened to that? What came along and subdued that? I'm talking about something that is more common than the clothes you're wearing. I'm talking about discouragement that comes on God's people. They don't quit God. They just don't have what they should have to enjoy God. They just start wondering about all of this stuff. How could that be? And this also comes come down to a lack of commitment. What kind of a church service would we have if the people who came were not enthusiastic, were not interested, did not respond, and had no commitment? What would you get? Let's say the preacher had a good day. Let's say he had a good day. Man, he had a good day. The Lord showed him some things. He had some inspiration. Something that I couldn't explain to others, but I mean, some deep inspiration where you thought, yes, amen. Oh, yeah. Let's say that happened. Let's just make this up. That something happened and you've got a fresh word from God. Something that may be old 30 years ago, but it's fresh. So you want to bring that fresh piece of bread to your church. And you come. And there's a lack of enthusiasm, there's a lack of interest, there's a lack of response, and there's no commitment. Now, what, what, what do you do? You up, you're up here going, hallelujah! <laughs> praise God! <laughs> and the people are saying with their faces, for what? What are we going to praise him for? How much longer are you going to preach? What if I told you, now I'm we'll to make it personal. What if I told you there have been times I was about that close, being 20 minutes into the sermon saying, folks, folks, close your Bibles. This is not a good night. Everybody stand to your feet. Let's go home. Is that all we're going to do tonight? That's it. We're done. Would, would that have bothered you? Maybe, maybe not. Kids would have been glad. Maybe they would have like that. Do you suppose the preacher ever has to battle discouragement? I don't mean despondency. I ain't ever going to come back out here no you yeah, not that. And then the devil says, you know what's the problem is? And he starts telling you stuff it's not true, but it sounds true. See, the devil doesn't have to use truth to tempt you. He can use lies because he's a father of lies, and he begins talking lies to you, but he makes it sound like a truth. You know, it's just like Joshua. Now, Joshua, do you really think you can follow Moses? Do you really think that they're going to accept you? Do you really think these people are going to follow you? What have you ever done? What kind of stick you got to put out over the water? Let's see what you got. Well, he did at Jordan River. That worked. Joshua, you're too old. You're 80 years old, man. Why don't you give it up? And on and on and on. Do you suppose the devil could do that? He could do it with you and your children. You know, he could do it with you and your marriage. It doesn't it doesn't matter who or what. All he has to do is make you out to be so much less than what you should be. The reason you're broke is because. And the reason your husband is because. And the reason is because. And all he wants you to do is attach your mind to that. Wrap your mind around something negative like that. Start thinking about it. Make it personal. And the next thing you know, you're the problem. And the devil's laughing his head off. Boy, that was easy. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger. And you start singing stuff like that. You poor thing. That's when you start getting on the phone. What did you think of that service last night? I don't know either. Well, I don't know. I think maybe he's 80 years old. And then by the time that gets back to Joshua... And he's just starting. He's just starting. <sighs> or King David, he and his band of men, there's no body can defeat them. No army, no anybody in David's life could defeat him. Nobody. Not Saul and all the armies of Israel. Nobody could defeat this man. One day he and his men went and raided a village, spoiled the thing, brought back all the spoil to where they left their wife, their children, and all their stuff, and it was burnt with fire. The whole thing was burnt down. And what did the devil do? He started talking to the people. said, boys, you know what happened here? Y'all following this renegade David. See, he said he was this, the sweet psalmist of Israel, and what you know, God will bless him going out and coming. Well, it, it, apparently not, because you've followed him, you've lost everything you had. And they might be dead. We don't see any evidence of death, no blood around here. Just everybody's gone. Now, if you hadn't followed this man, you'd still be happily with your wife and children wherever you are. No, no, you wanted to follow David. Yeah, okay, this is what you get. Has that kind of talk ever crept its way into... A christian's life, and the people the Bible said the people spoke of stoning David. boy, they had a bronze statue of him in their car on the dash one day, and the next day they want to stone him. got his picture hanging on the wall, big Dave, you know and now and now they want to stone him, because people forget they lose heart easy. Do you all lose heart easy? You can. You're capable. You can just faint. And when you faint, even the Lord says you won't reap. You're disqualifying yourself. The giants win. The giants at the gate have kept you from walking through the gate. You cannot enter his gates with thanksgiving because you don't have any. You lost. They won. You know what David did? This is in stories in 1 Samuel 30. You know what David did? He encouraged himself in, he himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He began to remind himself not only who he was, but who called him to do this. And the evidence of that call was quite plain in his life, and everybody else knew it. God is with David. So he hadn't missed it. He said, I haven't missed it. I know who I am. He began to strengthen himself in the Lord. He remembered all those times he spent with God, and God inspired him, and all the psalms he wrote about God with you, God for you. A righteous man may fall. He may fall seven times. Not once. A righteous man may fall seven times. But God will lift him back up. Nobody in this room is incapable of falling. But you don't have to stay falling because you get back up. When you get up, you're getting back in the game. When you stay down, well, it ain't going to work for me. Look what I did. I failed and I've dropped the ball and I guess I'm done. Who said you were done? Who said it's over? Nobody did. The devil said it's over. You get back up. You dust yourself off. I still remember, I told you this the other day, years ago during the days of the grapevine with all the charismatic policemen we had then, the people who pulled each other over and gave them tickets and arrested them and and assigned them to bad places. Somebody messed up, bought a pair of glasses, went to a doctor or something and the word spread like, like some toxic wildfire. Next thing you know, boy, the gossip. I'll tell you one thing. One of them said something to me like that. I forget where. I just remember the moment. And I said, let me ask you what's worse. And I wasn't on anybody's side. I had no dog in the fight. I just said, let me ask you a question. What's the worst, gossip or going to a doctor? Which is worse? I mean, which one of these would God just, (gasps) the most? Well, he specifically talks about gossip, doesn't he? Many times. He speaks once about maybe what you'd call the armor of the flesh, but look how many times he talks about your tongue and the way we break up friendships and break up churches. What God brings together, he's, he hates the dividing of it. Anything, whether it's a marriage or a church. And devil uses people all the time to divide and distract. I think the answer was, why don't you leave all these people alone? They're going through enough without your commentary. Just leave them alone. Let God fix everything. Let him restore people. Accept them back. God accepted you. We're not proud of anybody's fall or whatever. But we certainly don't want to discard people either like they're not important. Because they are important. If they weren't important, God would have never saved them in the first place. So... Discouragement is when you want to give up and back off and give in. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. I know you don't mind. So Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 21. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. What if we said this, God has set promises before you? God has set a life before you. Outline many ways in the Bible. This is a life you get to give, including abundance. Now, don't stare at it. Don't just print it and put it on the wall in a nice day. Believe it. He said, go up and possess it. As the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee, fear not. Neither be discouraged. Verse 26. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents, and you said, because the Lord God hated us, he has brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. How shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. And you know well the story. The 12 spies came back, And 10 of them had a negative report. They agreed with God. They said, yes, the land is, as God said it, it's full of milk and honey and the pomegranates and the grapes and all the abundance and the fertile valleys and the fields and the fruitful plains and all of that. And then they said to the people, we can't deal with that land. There are giants over there. And immediately the picture that the devil put in people's minds was they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And the giants, you know, they walk on grasshoppers, and they saw themselves in their own might and in their own strength, and they got discouraged, just like us. We look at life from the standpoint of what I, by myself, and my capabilities is able to cope with and deal with. I can't handle that. So they get discouraged. This is over my head and they fail to see that God seated you with him in heavenly places. Giants look like grasshoppers from where we are. You're not to be afraid of them. God himself said, fear not. Told Jeremiah, don't look at their faces and be afraid. I'm gonna make your head like Flint so you won't quit. I like to be hard headed at times. But he said here, these people brought back an evil report. It won't work. Let me tell you something about these evil reports. Sometimes your discouragement is due to who you're hanging around, what you're listening to, what you're reading, and what you're thinking about. One of the devil's ways is to give you something to think about. I have noticed, for example, that I guess Fox News is the most conservative of the news channels, that's what I've been told. And I have on my radio channel 114, that's Fox News. But I have to turn it off. I have to turn it off all the time for two reasons. One, it's so negative. I mean, everybody's a crook, a liar is a deceiver. And they can never explain what they mean because if there's four people on the show, they all talk at the same time and try to out yell each other. I just turned it off and said, that's not news. That's just a bunch of chatter. Well, you can listen to conservative talk shows and you get all of these things to think about that are negative. You do. You think about this one's negative and that's negative and this isn't going to work and he said this and she said that and I'll tell you. Next thing you know, you got a hateful attitude. It's hard for you to pray for the government because somebody told you that it's so bad and so corrupt, it didn't fit to be prayed for. Now, that's not what God said. But you've listened to somebody who has discouraged you, talked you out of doing your role as a Christian with regard to the local or the national government are praying for them and you quit doing that because you listen to people telling you how corrupt it is it has never been a time it wasn't corrupt God didn't say if it's corrupt don't pray for it we would never pray but you pray I pray for our president that God would make him wise in his affairs well it look like that's working speak for yourself he's my president he's our president You agree with him, it ain't nothing to do with what I'm talking about. He's the president. He's the leader of the people. The Bible says when your government is righteous, the people are blessed. I want to be blessed. I want our country to be blessed. I'd much rather pray for the man and not listen to criticism than to listen to criticism and then criticize the man and not pray for him because he doesn't deserve it. I'm making up my own rules now. That isn't what God said. Somebody's discouraged me. You say, I'll tell you one thing about it. Keep it to yourself. We're not supposed to be like that. We don't speak evil of the ruler of our people. Well, they had an Easter egg hunt on the White House. Let them have one. (laughs) Does that keep you from praying? It should. not Or you can read stuff that you like to read, and next thing you know, you're, you're suspicious. These girls that read these romantic novels or watch these things on TV about the storms of life or the spinning day or the dark or the edge of eternity, whatever they watch. And the next thing you know, they're suspicious of all men. Well, they're all alike, just a bunch of whoremongers. They just run from one to the next one. And if a man ever watches that, bless his heart, he begins to think, well, all them women are alike. Who said that? God didn't inspire that, did he? Then why would I give it my attention? Why would I lend my redeemed mind to think about that stuff or read that kind of novel with all of that junk in it? What is it about us that likes stuff like that where we want to engage in it? Something's wrong. Has the devil kind of subtly come in and made you think something? And the more you read that, the more you start thinking. Women start looking outside of marriage. I wonder what he's like. I wonder what she's like. Do you suppose that has any effect on problems like that? It sure does because the devil's been able to just put something in your mind that has discouraged you. I don't mean just throwing up your hands and quitting, blah, 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 blah. blah. But there's all kinds of things that discourage people. And, and one of those things that does discourage people is, it, is when people start talking about it. You listen to it, and things happen like that. Turn to 1 Peter 5. Go to the other end of your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 5. You should find that in the dark of the night because the pages are so worn back there. 1 Peter chapter 5. And verse seven, eight and nine. Let me skip verse seven. We'll get that as we close uh, tonight. Verse eight, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You or your children, doesn't matter to him. A body to inhabit is a body to inhabit, whether it's your child or whether it's you. He just looks for a place of habitation. If you can give place to the devil or teach your children how to play Halloween, they give place to the devil and in he comes. And then you wonder the rest of their life what happened to them. Oh, Christians are so ignorant. You ever read the local scandal sheet? Uh, excuse me, the local paper, <coughs> especially during Halloween time, all the Halloween festivities. The churches are having this, and then they have a panel of discussion why Halloween is okay. I remember one of these ministers in town spoke of dressing up in a skull and crossbones. He said, "Well, you know that's not so bad." I'm thinking, what? Not so bad because there are bones found today that are relics of the saints. When I was in India, I was in a place called Madras, down in the southern part of India. And one day in town, we went to a a place. You walk down some steps, and there in real thick glass with a light glowing around this thing was the last joint of a little finger bone. It was a little bone, and it was in this glass case and, and all of the devotion it was given. And they said it was the little finger bone of St. Thomas who was sent to India, and they say somewhere he died over there. His little bone, his little finger. The priest said, well, you know, there are relics today of the saints, and it's okay to wear bones because that might be representing the relics of saints. I think, who teaches people things like that? What about the witch? What temple was she in, you know? Or goblins, or trick or treat. You know why churches don't want to change that? Because their congregations want it. It's all for the children. It's it's our way of inviting the devil to have his way in their life in some degree. And you can say what you want to about that and I mean it just the way I said it. Because he's wily and you open the door to him when you do what he inspires. Whether it's the movie, the book, whatever it is, you open the door, something maybe a little bit, something maybe bigger, but you open the door. You can close it if you know how to go through deliverance, but you can certainly open it. But first Peter chapter five, he said the devil goes about like a war roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Now, you notice in verse 9, he talked about this activity of the devil resulting in afflictions. Did your Bible say that? Whether these afflictions are moral weaknesses or mental weaknesses or physical infirmities, various ways and things the devil does, but he comes in, in verse 9, to afflict the people. He comes in to do the tempting and the affliction and the going about like a roaring lion. The trials we have sometimes, God allows this to happen and we go through trials. These are called afflictions too. But notice two things here about how the devil discourages. Two specific things. Or two specific things about how we overcome the devil's discouragement. One is he said to resist him. Now what does resist mean? Well, resist simply means to withstand. It just means stand firm against him. Resist means to stand firm against him and to strive against him. To be watchful, it's also translated. To be watchful. See, you know how to do that because it's been taught. It's been said enough that you've been given a chance to seek on your own if you really want to know. We've taught series on it. Somebody has to survey the situation. See, the need of this people is to teach on this and then teach on it. And after a while, you hope they get it. And you get a chance to examine yourself in light of the Scripture that you've been taught. Make sure you believe what you heard. You don't believe because the preacher said it. But you begin to read the Scripture. You say, you know, that is what the Scripture says. That's what it says. And I wonder how many times I violated that and how many times through my ignorance of just following man that I've let the devil into my life. My parents did, their parents did. There, were so many, there was so much in their life that was devastated. They never attributed any of it to the devil. They never went to a church in their life that ever knew anything about that. My dad was a Catholic, they wouldn't know. And the little church in the country is just trying to keep the people in there so they won't leave and they make, try their best to make them happy and feel part of a little family like you're obligated now. They didn't teach people. They weren't informed about these kind of dark things. They never knew how to deal with it. They just figured that's just life. These things happen and not much you can do about it. They read it, but they didn't know what it meant that the devil goes about. He's looking for somebody he can devour. Word means to drink down, to consume, to take over their life and the well-being of that life, to kill and steal and destroy and make miserable and then make you wonder why you can't get any relief and why nothing works and you had this pill, that operation, and you're no better. Nobody ever told you the whole thing is spiritual in nature. It's a spirit A What? And then they were told to laugh at people that talk like that because that's not mainline Christianity. It must be a cult. Oh, how the devil is a master deceiver and has robbed and ruined probably billions of souls. Probably has. They just don't know how to resist. They don't know how to pray the prayer of faith or wrestle against principalities and powers. What's that? Well, it's in your Bible, I know it's in there, but what, I don't know what that means. What well, do you want to know? I don't know if I want to know or not. If you're going to talk about the devil, no, I don't want to know it. I'd rather put my head in the sand and just hope it goes away. God sees how good I am. He knows that I deserve things and if he doesn't want to give it to me, then I just guess I'll never get it. They don't know how to fight. Don't know how, to, never did know how to fight. The church I grew up in had no clue about what to fight. Never heard a thing about it. Consequently, there was no way to resist. How can you resist somebody if you don't know how to resist them? You know what James 4 said? James chapter 4 and verse 7, you don't have to turn to it, but it said, Resist the devil and what? He will flee flee from you. How do you know he will? How do you know he will? Because the Bible said so. Well, yeah, I have heard. Well, are you saved? How do you know you're saved then? If you can't believe that, how can you believe you're saved? If you cannot believe that, that you resisting the devil according to God's word will cause the devil to flee from you, how then can you believe something else? If one is true, if the other one's true, if, if those two are true, all of it's true. The only right thing we can do is believe. And the devil wants you to say, yeah, well, that might have been right for them. That might have worked in that day, but that won't work today. This is a new day. See, if you've been taught, you can say, no, that don't work either because the word of God is forever settled in heaven. What it was then, it still is today. God never changes. Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord, I change not. You can depend on him in the dark ages. You can depend on him in these dark ages, either one never changes. God watches over his word and only his word to perform it. And if he sent it to accomplish something, it still does. If he sent it to prosper in what he sent it to, it still does that. Whether you believe it or I believe it or anybody else believes it or not, it still does that. But believing brings me into the benefits of it. That's how it works. But, oh, the devil's a master deceiver. You don't want to resist the devil because you can't. Let me show you something. Turn to James 4. It's not that far away. James chapter 4 and verse 7. You see the part that says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Do you see that? So that is in the Bible, isn't it? Well, what's the first part of the verse say? That's the problem. Submit yourselves unto God. The same word as wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. It's a military word. It has to do with rank. doesn't mean somebody's better than somebody else. It just simply means this is how you do it in life. This is how God makes it work. Submit yourself to God. Yield yourself. Incline yourself to God. Be in subjection to him. Yield yourself to his terms. There they are. God said, this is the way you walk in it. Make up your mind and say, then I will walk in it. Amen. Learn what they are. Make sure you learn what they are. Take notes about it so you can refresh yourself. This is what he said. That's the first thing he said. And the second thing he said that to, to resist him in is the faith. Does it say that also in James 4, 7? It just says resist him and he flees. Resist him How? In the faith, 1 Peter 5. See, in the faith means that according to what God has given you in his word, the faith, the Christian faith, the collection of doctrines that comprise the Christian faith, its doctrines, its ways, the way God has identified and seen how we're supposed to act, all of this fullness that God gives us, walk in all of that. As God gives it to you, walk that way. Yes, faith is how we relate to God. It's also how we receive from God. That's what we major on. But as I said not long ago, the faith also has to do with with the Christian way on this earth. And that's the one thing the devil cannot stop you from doing and cannot get past that if you do it. Resist the devil and he will flee for you. Resist him firm and steadfast 1 Peter 5, in the faith. Trust what you've been hearing. Remind yourself that what God says is true. God cannot lie. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. He cannot change his mind. Convince yourself of that. Tell yourself that. Talk to yourself. Meditate, the Bible says. Muse, talk. Keep talking to yourself this word is, is what created the world and holds the world in place. Put it in your heart. He said, then make up your mind that this that God is saying to me is all of God. There's no man to turn to that God will honor. There's no system in the world to turn to that God will honor. The only thing that works is what the Lord has said. And if I keep myself In that kind of light, and in that way, resist the devil, he's got to flee. For 50 years, he has to flee. For all the days of your life, he has to flee. Wouldn't you like to live a life, even though you're attacked and and shot at and uh, fiery darts are pretty common in your life, wouldn't you like to live your whole life successfully overcoming Man, being able to testify to whoever how good the Lord has been in your life how he delivered you from everything and to live in such a way that people in 1 Peter 3 ask you a reason of the hope that is within you what is it about you why does it work for you because I have found the spout that the glory comes out and I've kept myself under that You do this steadfastly. You get fixed. You take a stand, that's all. I guess maybe the only difference between some Christians and other Christians is some Christians just take a stand. They refuse to give up. No is not an answer. They won't let go of the plow. They're counting on all the things that God said it has to be. And they hold on to it. The devil can't stop you when you do that. He can fight you, he can wound you, he can hurt. You're going to be tested and tried your whole life to, so that this is how you know that you believe what you're hearing. But you fight. And your friends, as I said earlier, who want to come around and, and talk about what doesn't work or tell you about the latest symptoms they've had, I don't want to hear about your symptoms. Man, I was up in the middle of the night and blood was there. I don't want to hear about that. I really don't. I don't want to hear about any of that, any of that kind of stuff. Well, I, you know, I saw on Facebook, they were talking about Facebook. Facebook. What kind of a book is Facebook? Maybe you look at faces on Facebook. Look at that one. Oh, I'm glad I look like that. What do you do with Facebook? You chat. Hi. I had breakfast this morning. What'd you have? <laughs> you say, that's not exactly like it, And you're being rude about that. Okay, I take it all back. <laughs> but the devil can use somebody else's negative view of things to, to tempt you and to, dis, and to discourage you. A leader in the church died a few years ago and people wanted to give up the faith because if it didn't work for him, or some deeply saintly woman, if she died in agony and if it didn't work for her, what what am I going to do? Well, I'm not basing my faith on him or her. What does the Bible say? That's what they taught. As I've read it, I wasn't taught wrong. I have a way of seeing things that may not be confirmed by some things that I've taught, but it doesn't make me right. doesn't make me wrong. It's just that I know what I believe and I know how I've been taught. Praise the Lord. Now in closing tonight about this thing about discouragement, which I, I want all of you to overcome and, and be rid of this discouragement, this forlornness. And I'm not saying you're forlorn because you worship the Lord well tonight. And I know you're listening now, so I'm not accusing you of that. I'm just saying I want to see the whole church come to the place where you're doing well all the time and you don't fret yourself about money and about tomorrow's security, my job and what am I going to do and I need to, your life isn't about the things you possess or about money in the bank. Even Jesus said sufficient for today is the evil thereof. I'm going to leave you with two things tonight that you already know about. Two things, two verses of scripture. I hope you can hide these two verses in your heart and take advantage of their promise. Number one, Jesus said, Matthew 6, you don't have to turn to it, five times, take no thought. It means worry, anxious. People have anxiety attacks, I think, because, well, that's obviously the devil, but there are no solutions. Women get all out of sorts. I taught Sunday school class at a Baptist church one time in Lexington. It's not a reflection on the Baptist. It's just where I happened to be that morning. I had a Bible study down there on Wednesday nights, and one of the men in that Bible study asked me if I'd teach his Sunday school class. The five big I didn't know it was a, one of them. took a whole corner. And I went in there, and here's some college teachers. I've heard that kind of a church would attract that kind of person. And here I am. You know, who in the world is this? And they gave me this little build up, this guy's, he's gonna, he's, um, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. and so, you know, and so I came in, and I talked about faith, about trusting God with all of your heart, and I was almost done, and here's a lady, much smarter than I am, I mean, she had IQs hanging off of in her, braided in her hair, <laughs> and she said, so I guess you think we're not supposed to worry about anything if you don't have a job ready any money, and I haven't been employed. I'm thinking, oh man! <laughs> I remember saying something, something like, I didn't record this, so I don't know, but it's something like, "Ma'am, what you do and where you are in your life is based on what you believe." I'm telling you what I believe, and I know what works for me. Now, whether it works for you or not, it will. But I, that's between you and the Lord, and how much you want to do. But I know what works for me. And I told her, I didn't. I don't have a job like. An income where I can plan on my tomorrows financially. I don't have such a thing. I have Bible studies. You have to trust God for something to get home on. And if God blesses you and a lot of people come and a lot of money comes in, then it's not my fault. Look how much money. It's not my fault. I didn't take anybody's money. They gave it to me. And she was telling me that, and I, I think I got through that pretty good. And uh, a couple of these professors in the college era came up and said, "Thank you, young man. It was a very interesting." You know, <laughs> I did my best. But you know what? There are so many people who really don't listen to me, who really don't know the Lord. They have a concept about God. And he understands all their foolishness. And he doesn't judge that. After all, we're only human beings. And then there's the word of God, which comes in and says, this is a way, walk ye in it. And even that discourages people. You know why? Because they've already convinced themselves that they can't do that. That's too hard. Some heady, somebody said that was for another age or another dispensation. And you can't make application, for example, of the promises that were made to Israel. You can't claim those for yourself in the New Testament. Because God wasn't speaking to you. He was speaking to the Hebrews. And then you have to say, well, one no, wait a minute. The Bible says all the promises are yes and in Jesus Christ, amen. And the only thing they could refer to as all the promises at the time was the Old Testament because there was no New Testament book. So he was talking about all the promises are yes and amen to us as well as them. They just get so discouraged. I think the reason people get angry and frustrated spiritually is because they're discouraged. They don't want to try. They don't even want to make it work. They just want to walk out and get rid of it. Walk away from it. That's the first thing you do is take no thought about that feeling in your body, that problem in your home, Money, take no thought. Didn't Jesus say that? Take no thought for your life, for your food, for your clothing, for tomorrow. We violated wholesale, but he said, take no thought. You got to tell yourself, I refuse to worry. I refuse to cave into this. I'm not going to do it because God said I didn't have to. Second thing, you got to do, and this will work. It'll work all the time. It's cast all your care over on the Lord. We read a while ago. Cast all your care, First Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Paul wrote himself, be careful for nothing. Didn't he? You're not allowed to worry. You're not the people that worry. The solution to things in your life are the things that are recorded in the Bible. The moment you believe it, the power to solve your problem comes in your life. As long as it's just book and words, it doesn't work. But when you begin to believe that, you make an application of that word to your problem, to your life, to your tomorrows, and God honors that. He will cause that to come to pass. Remember the psalmist said, commit thy way unto the Lord and he shall bring it to pass in Psalm 37. Commit thy way unto the Lord. The psalmist also said, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. What is your burden? We all carry something around. Give it to the Lord. Cast all your care upon him. I think discouragement is a sign, an indication that you're getting your eyes off of God and you're seeing yourself like a grasshopper and the land full of giants instead of the other way around. I don't deny my problems. I don't deny the situations that I deal with and fight. I don't talk about them to you, not even to my wife. I don't discuss personal or physical things with anybody. I don't. I'd rather just tell the Lord and leave it there because he knows what to do. You don't. Just leave it there and give God the glory for it and have a good testimony in my life. I want all of us to have a good testimony in our lives. That's what God wants for us. To be ready always. To be ready all the time. To give an answer to whoever it is that's watching your life and wants you to tell them how it is that you're handling your affairs so well. And you in meekness and thoughtful fear, reverence, you explain to them, well, let me tell you, I just trust the Lord. God said he would and I do. Well, I go to church, well, I do too, but I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. And then you begin sharing your life. Amen. Close your Bible. Bow your heads with me for a minute. I want you to make a decision. With your heads bowed, you're not looking around, you're not distracted. It's just you behind your eyelids, that's it. I want you to make a decision that you're going to cast all your care over on the Lord. And you're going to make a conscious attempt not to worry about any of it. I'm going to give it to the Lord. You say, well, it's not working right. Maybe you're out of God's will. Maybe what you're wanting isn't in his will. Get it right. Ask the Lord for strength right now. Lord, give me courage and strength just like Joshua had. Let me walk through this life with the same kind of victory that he had, overcoming the things that he overcame and standing before you approved and hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You can do that. Your children are watching you, parents to make sure that the example you're setting confirms what they're hearing in church. Do it right. We ask you to do this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good.